This is What Does This Mean? A discussion of Bible texts that are assigned in many Christian churches, including the Lutheran Church, on Sunday mornings. Today, we'll hear an echo of the Christmas Eve service, a warning about picking your favorite pastor, and some instructions on how to handle your fishnets. Welcome to What Does This Mean? Today we are recording in the beautiful Fellowship Hall of Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. This is our very first time with a live audience, so thank you all for being here. If you could see this room, they look like a room full of Lutherans ready to talk about the Bible. Most have coffee, we have animal crackers. Some We're... are even sitting near the front, yeah. which is amazing. <laughs> right. Yeah. I'm Pastor Bradley Schmeling. I'm Pastor Lois Palmeyer. And I'm Pastor Javen Swanson. We are the pastors at Glory Day Lutheran Church, and this is our weekly discussion about the Bible. This is our second season doing this, and we have invited special guests each week for this season to help us think about the texts. And today, all of you are our special guests, so we invite you to think about any questions that come to your mind as you hear these Bible readings being read. And don't worry about whether you think it's a good question or a dumb question. Uh, all of us come to Scripture feeling like, I'm not sure I really understand this. Um, so this really is an opportunity to ask the things that you really would like to know about the stories. The readings that we have been talking about um, are coming in the season of Epiphany, which is a little season in the church that goes from Epiphany on January 6th until Ash Wednesday. Um, and each of the readings that we have reveals something to us, either about who Jesus is or about who we are. Many of them call us into the ministry of Jesus. But I think we should get started. So, Pastor Lois, would you read the first reading? Yes. Isaiah 9, verses 1 through 4. There will be no gloom for those who were in anguish. In the former time, the Lord brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he will make glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them light has shined. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as people exult when dividing plunder. For the yoke of their burden and the bar across their shoulders, the rod of their oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Thank you. Does anybody have a question about this reading from Isaiah? Just come on up to the mic. 
Hello, my name is Robin, and my question is, what is the day of Midian? Oh, that is a good question. That's good. Midian was the city that the judge, Gideon, overcame, and he had a much weaker army and didn't look like he was able to manage this at all, but his strength came from God, and he took these very few resources and came in and was able to lead the people into a new way. And there's all the sense of the day of Gideon is always a sign to us, whether we like the image of war warfare or not, or conquest. It's always an image of us of how God works in the least likely places with the least likely to overcome hardship and to overcome trial and to come out of it somehow victorious. Interestingly, this reading is read every year on Christmas Eve. Um, And so it highlights what you were just saying, because the day of Midian is happening in this little baby. So again, you have this idea that God does these great things in uh, small ways through vulnerable people. Which is really sort of a, we just said this, I think, in a recent episode of our podcast, talked about how over and over and over again in the Hebrew scriptures or what Christians often call the Old Testament, that's the theme is that it's always the one that you'd least expect who is the one who's chosen. David beats Goliath, like all those stories over and over again. It's always the one that you wouldn't expect. And that's the reason why Christians see ourselves as sort of we're a continuation of the Jewish tradition because it's the same kinds of ideas. It's this little baby is the one where we find God, which is not what you would expect. And eventually a crucified itinerant preacher. It's like, well, that doesn't look real promising there. And we find life there. It's always the one you'd least expect that reveals God. You can remember this passage was written when um, the people of the north, like where Zebulun and Naphtali were, were being attacked. And the people in the south now are watching that saying, "Uh uh-oh, you know, that's, that's not looking so good up there, but we'll be okay down here, right? And Isaiah's saying, even up there, all over the places where it looks like God is has been absent, God will not stay absent. That image of dark and lightness is is um, big here, right? But the people who walked in that darkness have seen a great light. So the sense, um, Isaiah especially, but lots and lots of Hebrew scripture uses this image of darkness and light and the New Testament too, for that matter. Remember in a culture that has no artificial light, how dark and scary it would be once a city has been destroyed. So if the cities around Naphtali and Zebulun have been destroyed, there are no little lanterns. There's no little campfires. It is dark up there and that's scary. So the people in the South are saying, you know, what's going to happen? And he can say, remember the day of Gideon, uh, Midian, (laughs) Um, when, when God was able to do a new thing, the people who've walked in darkness will see marvelous things happen. I want to throw something in here too, that this passage, I thought a lot about actually on Christmas Eve when we read this and when we, we talk so much about darkness and light, those two images are so prominent in Christian tradition, but particularly in, uh, in Advent and Christmas, and yes, Christmas right, and at this time of year. And for people who it really experience the solstice in the dramatic kind of way that we do in Minnesota. But one of the things I think we're beginning to think about as we think about race and how race functions in our culture by aligning black and darkness and light and white 
that we have, we often make very subtle judgments about color. And I think that's probably something for us to begin to pay attention to. Are we always using those words or connecting um, dark and black to sin and white and light to purity? And so are there some different ways we can use those metaphors? We should probably take a little break and we'll come back with our next reading. back. Our second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 10 through 18. We're actually in, in the middle of a little bit of a series from 1 Corinthians. So last week we discussed the very opening verses of 1 Corinthians. Now we have this, and then actually we have a few more weeks of 1 Corinthians coming up too. So this is um, verses 10 through 18 of chapter 1. Now I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you be in agreement and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same purpose. For it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there are quarrels among you, my brothers and sisters. What I mean is that each of you says, I belong to Paul, or I belong to Apollos, or I belong to Cephas, or I belong to Christ. Has Christ been divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you, except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one can say that you were baptized in my name. I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized anyone else. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel and not with eloquent wisdom, so that the cross of Christ might not be emptied of its power. For the message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Good morning. Good morning. I'm John Stendhal. I had a question about Chloe, and I assume that's a female uh, of the Bible. And was Chloe an important person, or kind of the gossip monger, or... Who is she and how does she play a role in this? That's a good question. So, so scholars don't totally know. Most think that Chloe must have been maybe like a business person. So Corinth was kind of a cosmopolitan kind of place. It was sort of a business center. Um, and I think most scholars think Chloe was probably like a leader in the community, maybe a businesswoman. Somehow she had some sort of power in the community and became a leader in the Christian community in Corinth. And she obviously had some people who were sort of in her group who were 
aligned with Paul and were kind of keeping Paul up to speed about what was going on in Corinth. And some people that. who could travel, right? Some, mm-hmm. some, either Chloe or her friends knew how to travel and get to Paul and bring reports. Right. And there are always Chloe's in every church who say, ah, <laughs> right. uh, you know, some people are saying. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> Hi, I'm Kara Shoden. And so this is Paul communicating with the Corinthians, right? Uh, I'm confused and a little bit curious because, Javen, the way you read it wasn't how I read it in my head. Uh, he seemed really sort of annoyed and kind of angry with people. So I'm curious about what else was going on or around at the time to have this conversation. I think one of the things that's great about reading Corinthians is that we're getting a glimpse into a very real congregation of Christian people. And if you read the whole book, you discover there are all kinds of arguments going on. There are divisions uh, among the people. They are not all just in harmony and in the love and the peace of, of Jesus. They're fighting with each other. And in here, we hear that they're kind of taking sides. You know, I'm with Apollos. I'm with Cephas. I like Pastor Lois. I like Pastor Javen. I like Pastor Bradley. <laughs> I was waiting for that. <laughs> but I think, um, for, you know, Paul is often really hard to read, and his sentences are often miles long, and by the time you get to the end, you don't even know what he was trying to say. I actually think 1 Corinthians is one of his letters that, if you do read it from beginning to end, you really get what, what was going on in Corinth and what Paul is trying to accomplish with this letter. And really, that's... I think the main theme is that there's a number of ways that this community is dividing itself. The the verses that we read, I think last week, um, talk about all, all these wonderful things God does for us. And he could he could start by saying, "Hi, dear church. I've heard that there's some troubles, and I'm writing to tell you uh, I've heard about that, and I want to address them with you." He he doesn't say it that bluntly. What he says is. I'm so glad that you are people of God and that God is working great things within you and will continue to work great things right now in your midst. He starts by saying, God's going to do something great here. Remember that you are people of God. Now, I understand that there's some divisions and some problems there. God is already good. God's going to make even that turn out for good because there's all these parts that the body needs. There's all these gifts that we need. So even those things that feel divisive among you, God's going to show you how those are all actually gifts that we can use together to serve the common good. So he's got this this way of angling them as saying, you think it's divided, and I know you, you've heard that I've heard. Yeah, Chloe's people have been here. So you can imagine them like, ooh, I don't want to read what he's got to say about this. He starts by reminding them God is good, and God is already working, working good things within your community, within our community here. Watch and see how God's going to use even those varieties of gifts as a way of building us up into something better. And I think, Kara, you're probably right to notice that he's frustrated that he's mad. And one of the things you love about Paul is he says what he's thinking and he tells people when he's unhappy. Sometimes I wonder, is that why Paul just goes from place to place that he'd never last <laughs> as, one the, of those as the pastor of uh, one of these churches, you know, because um, he says the things that a lot of us might think about each other, but we don't always, always say out loud. I always love to note this, that Paul also is kind of stream of consciousness. You notice this? He's like, I did not baptize 
anybody. Well, except maybe well, I, Crispus I, and Gaius. <laughs> uh, but then nobody else. Oh, I did baptize. Also, that one household. <laughs> right. Yeah. yeah, but, but no one else. That. It's like he's, he's writing it and then realizes, oh, I can't go back right. and edit. He doesn't have a word processing. Yeah, right. right. No whiteout. No whiteout. Yeah, if he had Microsoft Word, he would have just edited that. But Does anybody else have a question or even a comment about this reading? Hi, I'm Carolyn Tonneson. Um, I just have always found this reading interesting that, that this was kind of like the beginning of what many churches have become over the years. You know, the, the quarreling that can happen within a church, the divisions that, and this happened way back, you know, so it's like history has kept repeating itself over thousands of years that the church really can't be what Paul says right at the beginning. Cut out all those divisions. Let's just get along. Personally, I'm thankful that I don't see that happening in this congregation, but uh, certainly I've seen it in others and just a comment about that. And sometimes we get the feeling that, oh, we should just go back to the way it was at the beginning of the church because then everyone knew and everyone heard it fresh and really knew and how to follow so Jesus. It, yeah. yeah. And we find out even, even Peter and Paul didn't always get along. The disciples themselves quarrel amongst themselves. They're right in his presence and they can't get it right. But certainly in the first hundred years, the church already showed signs of quarrels and divisiveness and issues that separated one from another. And that's that's part of our heritage. And this was probably written in the 50s. Like, um, I think I read around like the early 50s is what some scholars think. So that would have been like 20 years after Jesus' crucifixion. Um, so think how early in Christian history this is taking place. Um, and the other thing I often think is it took hundreds of years to develop like the creeds, for example. Like all the things that we say about the Trinity about who Jesus was and Jesus's full humanity and full divinity, like all of that was worked out over hundreds of years. And this is just 20 years after Jesus was crucified. They're all still figuring out a whole lot of stuff. You know, like there's no, there's, there's not generations, there's not two millennia of precedent here to sort of lean on, but they're in real time trying to figure out what it means to be Christian community together. Um, I think that's really helpful to remember when we're reading these things. I'm Darren Eastler, and I do uh, thinking about this text from Corinthians as one of the windows into the role of baptism in Christian community and just the different theologies and viewpoints around baptism. I wonder if you might comment on that. Oh, that's a interesting point because we still do talk about how you baptize you know were you were you sprinkled were you immersed um did how, you did how, you decide to be baptized or was, was it, it done believer for you? baptism right. or was right. it a, right did you have a a prayer over the water did you use a candle there's a huge practice around baptism that's grown up and we tend to focus on those things and let them divide us from one another. Uh, Martin Luther always said about water, use as much as you need to sit so that it says what it needs to say. I do think it's interesting in verse 17, Paul says, for Christ did not send me to baptize, but to proclaim the gospel. And I think it's interesting. He sort of makes baptism secondary. Like really the most important thing is proclaiming good news Baptism is part of that, 
but you know, so much of this passage is about who baptized whom and all this different stuff. And Paul says, baptism isn't actually the, the thing we're talking about here. What we're talking about is, have we proclaimed the gospel? Let's take a little break and we'll come back with our last reading. Welcome back. Our very last reading, the gospel for the third Sunday after Epiphany, is from, again, Matthew, which we are now reading for the rest of the year. Uh, Chapter 4, verses 12 through 23. Now, when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew to Galilee. He left Nazareth and made his home in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what had been spoken through the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. Land of Zebulun, land of Naphtali, on the road by the sea across the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people who sat in darkness have seen a great light, and for those who sat in the region and shadow of death, light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to proclaim, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. As he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fish for people. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, in the boat with their father Zebedee, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the good news of the kingdom and curing every disease and every sickness among the people. My name is Nancy Agneberg. And I'm remembering when I was a child and hearing this passage and feeling left out. Um, Because, well, and here it says, fisher of people. So I'm delighted with that. But it was always fisher of men. And um, all of these men in this passage. So I would love to have you make me feel better about this. And I think we can. <laughs> Pastor Lois? <laughs> well, uh, I, I shared that feeling, actually, Nancy. I, I think the word men has always been translated in so many cultures very masculine when it really meant people. We, we sometimes find ways of saying fishers of people to fish for all. But these are all, all men's names. Now, we heard in the, in the reading from Corinthians that Chloe had a place. And there, there were women that were active in Jesus' ministry and in the ministry of the early church. But uh, these disciples are clearly singled out, set apart. These specific 12 are all men. And there is um, uh, the frustration or the curiosity of 
why would God have chosen such a, a system in which women had so few roles to make God's love, God, you know, divine love known in this way, in an incarnational way? And we do struggle with that. So I think it's, it's fair to say that. Now we can say in our culture it's different, but we know there are cultures around the world where women still don't have a role. And I think it's really still an issue for a lot of people. Well, and I think it shows how patriarchy and sexism come into even the writing of Scripture. And those that way of thinking about the world is in the minds, in the background, often without the writer's even awareness that that's shaping how they see the world, that's what's shaping the writers of these, of these gospels. But, uh, but part of what's going on too, is that in Greek, the, it's a little bit like Spanish and I'm not a fluent Spanish speaker, but I know enough about Spanish to know that, um, like amigo would be a male friend, amiga would be a female friend and amigos is plural friends and can be either, it can be a group of, of lots of different genders. Right. Um, but we, the way we pluralize it is like this masculine form still. And Greek is sort of like that. And then when you translate it to English, you can either translate it using just male pronouns, or you can, you can remember that actually this could refer to a multi-gendered group of people. And so it's just as accurate to translate it people rather than men here in this case. Hi, I'm Deanna. And I know in the Gospel of Matthew, one of the things Matthew's interested in doing is helping us see Jesus as the fulfillment of Hebrew scriptures. And just wondering if you could talk a little bit more about um, as we think about building bridges with our Jewish neighbors, how we talk about honoring Hebrew scriptures and the Jewish faith alongside this kind of um, continual quotation of demonstrating Jesus fulfills the scriptures. Thanks. I think that's a great point, too, that we always need to keep in mind as we're reading. Because one of those things that's in the background of our thinking, I talked about those kind of structures that often aren't in our awareness but shape the way we see. One is uh, that Christianity has superseded Judaism and somehow is a more evolved form of religious faith. And that shapes how we think of it rather than Christianity as part of the circle of religions that bear witness to, to God or to light or love or compassion, however we want to talk about that. And I think it's also important to remember those who were writing this were Jewish people. And Matthew particularly is interested in seeing the grand sweep of God's liberating work as coming again through the life of Jesus. So he, more than any of the others, does this again and again. He quotes Hebrew scripture to talk about what he's talking about in his story. I think Jesus is saying Isaiah had it right. And Matthew's trying to point out not just that, uh, you know, as it's often been understood, oh, so Jesus supersedes, fulfills it all. So therefore, none of the old stuff matters anymore. I think Jesus is usually in, in Matthew's text, in a lot of the gospels, quoting the prophets to say, 
Remember what the prophets told you? They were right. Let's live that way. As not to say, you know, and now here's a whole new interpretation that the prophets never even knew, but to say, let's live as if the the peace and the, the hope that Isaiah had for the people is really still coming true for us too. Another way of thinking about this is we still use things like, I've mentioned David and Goliath already once today, but think about that story, right? You know what the David and Goliath story sort of is in your head. And so like today, sometimes it'll be like a football game and we'll be like, it's the David versus Goliath. You know, it's like, um, the, I heard it last the night. underdogs versus the, you know, and, and we, because we use that David and Goliath frame, we pile on all these things that we know about. Oh, so that means we're talking about like, that's what this means about this game today. Well, I think that's sort of what is going on when in the New Testament we quote the Hebrew scriptures that these people would have known these stories and known what they meant. And so then when you apply it to Jesus, you say, oh, I get it. Like, that's who Jesus is. It's sort of like what we read about, what we know about from earlier. Hi, I'm, my name is Gary. This is my second visit to Gloria Day. And Welcome. Uh, Welcome to our podcast. You're now <laughs> yeah, right. famous. Now you're a star. <laughs> I kind of disagree with what you just said, though, because Jesus didn't, he didn't discount or put aside their whole career as fishermen. He said, I'm going to make you fisher of men or people. And so he respected to some extent what they did, but he was expanding their abilities and their calling to now be larger. And I think we can all learn from that, that whatever careers we may be in, we can expand those and God can use those, you know, in, in different ways. I love that because it does make you think that there's a certain kind of work that's better than another work, right? And somehow being a Fisher person was less than, but maybe the, I think what you're highlighting is it's how we fish maybe the better question, how we teach, how we manage, how we uh, bank how we market, how we parent, that once you have this encounter with Jesus in the reign of God, you don't go back to those things in the same way. You go back to them with different qualities that guide you, um, qualities of love and compassion and peace and justice, and they become the reign of God acting out in the world. I think a lot of us have the mistaken assumption that we go to church and somehow church is this thing that's happening either in a particular place or, or in a program or within a certain set of words or actions. But actually, every single one of us leaves the church building to go and do church. That where we're doing church is largely at home, not in the sanctuary. Um, and I've always wanted to, for us to flip that mindset. Gary, your comment sort of gets us back to 1 Corinthians too, and that idea that we divide ourselves so often and sort of make hierarchies of gifts and careers and different things. And Paul says, that's not actually the point. The point is, how are we serving Christ? How are we being, how are we proclaiming good news using all the different gifts that our community has? And 
we need all of those different gifts. So yes, use your fishing gifts to go and proclaim the gospel. That is probably a wonderful place for us to end the podcast for today. Thank you all for being here. We're interested to hear what all of you think about these readings. So drop us a note at pastors at gloriadaysaintpaul.org. Thank you to Paul D'Amico Carper for recording all of the music that we use in our podcast. And a special thanks to Marshall Saunders from Minnesota Podcasting for producing all of these podcasts. And we should say more often, he makes us sound better than we really are. And we should just say he put a ton of effort into getting this set up here in our fellowship hall today. So you can just see how many chords there are over here and imagine how many hours he spent getting that all set up for us. Thank you, Marshall. And don't edit that out. Join us for worship every Sunday at 8.15 or 10.45, or come and join us for Sunday School for All Ages at 9.30 in the morning. Thank you so much for joining us today. Know that God is with you, God loves you, and God will provide what you need for today. This has been What Does This Mean? a podcast created by Gloria Day Lutheran Church in St. Paul, Minnesota. You can find Gloria Day online at www.gloriadaystpaul.org. This podcast has been produced by Minnesota Podcasting, and they can be found online at www.mnpodcasting.com.